Hello, whizzes. We are here today with episode 234 of the Food Biz Whiz podcast as we wrap up Black History Month and turn towards Women's History Month. And I have the perfect guest for today's show. We are joined by Skylar Mapes. She is the CEO and co-founder of XAO, a beautiful, high-quality Italian olive oil brand. And she's a former Retail Ready student of ours. Skylar started her company in 2017 with her husband and co-founder, Giuseppe Morisani, and together they care for hundreds of olive trees on their family estate along the Ionian coast of Calabria in southern Italy. Each fall, they work harvest to make their delicious extra virgin olive oils. Skylar's work with XAO has placed her on Forbes 30 Under 30, Oprah's Favorite Things twice and in full features in Food 52, Condé Nast, The New York Times, Eater, BuzzFeed, on live television, and many, many more. So you're going to hear it yourself, but you will see that Skylar's got this super personable, super fun and approachable stance on olive oil. And that landed her a book deal with 10 Speed Press, an imprint of Penguin Random House. The Olive Oil Enthusiast was published in August, 2023 and was co-authored with Giuseppe. It is described as a comprehensive practical introduction to the often misunderstood world of olive oil. And I'm really curious to hear Skylar's take on how having a book deal has impacted her packaged food business. Today, Skylar wants as many people as possible to taste and enjoy true Italian extra virgin olive oil. And she hopes to see more transparency in our industry, which you'll hear her talk about. Skylar's approach to XAO has been one that we have been admiring for years and years and years. And I am so thrilled to speak with her on how she and Giuseppe have built XAO to be a business that works for them. Let's get right into today's show. I'm Allie Ball, former grocery buyer and retail store manager turned wholesale consultant. In my role on the retail floor, I saw delicious, values-driven brands fail on our shelves simply because they didn't understand the behind the scenes of wholesale. I created the Food Biz Whiz podcast to give you hard-to-access insight from my career in the food industry and the tools and strategies to help you succeed on retail shelves. If you're a committed food founder who's looking to create and grow a packaged products business that positively impacts our food system, puts wealth back into your own hands, and employs members of your local community, you have found the right podcast. Let's do this. Welcome back, my whizzes. As I mentioned in the intro, I am so excited to get to chat with Skylar Mapes, the CEO and co-founder of XAO Olive Oil. Skylar, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Okay. So I talked about you in the intro, but I have... I have a question about your bio, and I want to know, Skylar, which came first, your love of Giuseppe or the olive oil company? Which Giuseppe? Which Giuseppe, easy. Okay, yes. how did it go down? Tell tell our listeners how the relationship turned into an olive oil brand. So Giuseppe is Italian. He's originally from Calabria, but when we met, he was living in Rome and I was living in Barcelona. 
interning at an architecture firm. And I went to Rome for the weekend with my roommates. And one night out, I met him and we kept in touch. And he came to visit me in Barcelona. I flew back to Rome and then drove seven hours down to Calabria to actually meet his mom, which was, you know, Italian mothers are very intense. So that was a once in a lifetime experience for me. And it went well, and we did long distance for a while, and then he eventually moved to the U.S., and we got married. And olive oil did not come along for the first probably two years of our relationship. Wow. Okay. And so uh, did I hear you correctly? You were studying architecture, architecture and design. You were not from the food industry, and you fall in love with a guy whose family has a history in olive oil, correct? That's correct. So you gave up, you gave up architecture or like what happened in the in-between? Just set the stage for me here. So I have a degree in architecture and I love the design industry. I still do to this day. I just don't enjoy where I fit into the design industry, if that makes sense. Um, Designing buildings is a very, very long process. And there's a ton of bureaucracy that goes into that, that I just didn't want to do anymore. And also it takes a really long time to move forward in that space. Um, So it's tough. It's a tough industry to be in, especially for a woman, especially for a woman of color. I was just like, you know, I don't see myself being an architect and being in this industry long-term. I don't see myself doing this in 20 years. I I wanted to make something that was smaller, that would have, that I could create faster, if that makes sense. So the way that I see our olive oil company, the way that I see a bottle of olive oil is almost like a little mini building. So I've worked on headquarters before I've worked on, you know, I'm from Oakland and I worked in the Bay area. So I've already worked on a ton of tech headquarters, these huge, huge companies, these huge buildings. And for me, a bottle of olive oil is almost like a little mini building that I get to design. So I did use all of my design skills that I learned in architecture school and I applied them to building and creating XL. So my skills were very much transferable. Yeah. Yeah, I see that a lot in in our industry that folks come from other career paths into the food industry and it's so important to have some sort of skill set that really sets you apart and that helps you build this this packaged products brand. Skylar, I think it's so funny that you are talking about how slow architecture and building you know, that that process is when people just complain so much about the food industry being so slow. And you've got this this other perspective of your past career being even slower. I think maybe that's, that's a so sneaky, sneaky superpower that you have in not thinking that the food industry is super slow. Food is way faster than architecture, let me tell you. To just, I mean, to get plans reviewed takes forever. And then to get your permits approved to actually start construction, then there's always delays. You have to wait for materials, which of course in the NCPG, you also have to wait for materials like boxes right. and bottles and things, which we can talk about later. But your architecture, your, it's a structure is enormous. It's something that you as a person are living in, or it's a structure that you are going to visit. It's also not something you can take with you. We need to think about that, right? Like with the CPG mm. product, you can take a box of crackers with you. You can take Microsoft's headquarters with you. You have to go there, you know? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you've got this sneaky superpower of the design background, and then somehow... Giuseppe convinces you to start an olive oil company? It was all his idea. I 
like I said, I would I didn't see myself working in design long term. So I was kind of looking for an out anyways, okay. a way to experiment and try something else. And he kept pushing, why don't we start an olive oil company? Because he was visiting a lot of the specialty food shops which I won't name, but you definitely know them in the Mm -hmm. Bay area. And he was very displeased with the olive oil selection on the shelves. A lot of the oils were from Tuscany, um, Umbria, Sicily, a lot of other regions in Italy, but not Calabria and not even a lot from Puglia, which is he thought was insane because most of the olive oil in Italy comes from Southern Italy, mostly Calabria and Puglia. So not seeing those names on the shelves was extremely concerning for him Mm -hmm. and also disheartening. And so he's like, well, we have trees, we have olives, we have oil. Why don't we sell it? Hello. Yes. <laughs> you know, like yes. it's an obvious solution. <laughs> yes. Bring Calabrian olive oil to the U.S. And I said, no, no. But then I had a friend who um, was the head winemaker at Rock Wall in Alameda, mm. which unfortunately mm. has shuttered. But I went to work at Rock Wall and I liked the energy of working in a cellar. And the reasoning was, if I enjoy making wine, if I enjoy working a harvest, a wine harvest, I'll definitely enjoy making olive oil because they're very similar in the way that they're produced. Of course, you don't have to age olive oil, but you know, when you're actually Mm -hmm. going through the harvest, the steps you're taking are very, very similar. And I loved the energy of the seller. I loved running around and being on a a schedule and having to meet certain deadlines and do things in a certain order. It just made a lot of sense to me. And I had, I could taste the product. I could see the end product within like two or three months. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whereas with architecture, I would not be able to see the end product within a couple months. It would be like, oh, we'll see what, how it ends up in three years. And you might not even work at that firm anymore. Yeah. You don't know how the project is. Exactly. Exactly. You just move along before anything comes to fruition. So this is interesting. You had this hypothesis that if you enjoyed the winemaking process, if you enjoyed that, the process of taking an agricultural product, taking fruit and turning it into a product over here in wine production, you would presumably enjoy it in olive oil as well. Interesting, Skylar. I didn't know that history about you. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Olive oil is definitely faster than wine though. So it was even yes. better. I was like, oh, the turnaround time on this is even quicker. It's great. Yes. But what's interesting here, and I'm I'm gonna go off script for a second, but Skylar, you said one of the frustrations of being in architecture and design was being a woman of color in that, you know, historically pretty homogenous white industry. And then there you go into winemaking, which also is historically a white man's industry. And then olive oil, historically a white man's industry. So there, I'm I'm curious about what what that experience has been like for you. But you know what? Giuseppe is from Calabria, which mm-hmm. is a zone. Okay, so if you're not familiar with Calabria, it is the ball, it occupies the ball, the toe of Italy. So it's the part that's kicking Sicily. And there are a lot of dark-skinned people down here, okay? And I have found that Southern Italy is much less prejudiced towards Black folks, towards immigrants, than Northern Italy. Mm. And being in this industry, I have experienced a lot. I haven't experienced racism, personally. This could be because I am a light-skinned Black woman. Um, It could be because I'm married to an Italian, to a Calabrian, 
Right. It could be also because I'm American, which grants me a ton of passport privilege because Italians always want to work with Americans because it's just easier for them to deal with mm-hmm. Americans. And so I kind of, I really believe I have found this very niche place, like a niche, niche place in the world, a very niche place in that world, in this industry. And so I think if I was in a different place, like California, I would be having a different experience, but I'm not, I'm in Southern Italy. So interesting. Interesting. Okay. So, so yeah, you, you really have found this I don't know if for folks who aren't like watching this video, they can only hear our voice. You kind of like held up your hands in this like neat little triangle where you're in this perfect place yeah. for you. Interesting. That is really interesting, Skylar. Okay. So here you are. What is it? Year. Let me do live okay. math here. You started in 2017. Mm-hmm. I went back, Skylar, and looked. You joined Retail Ready in February of 2019. I know. Way back when. I know. And, and here you are now. Before I was we still working it, my job. I was you were still literally working still working. Yeah. yeah. So two years into your business, you were still you still had uh, a salary coming from elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And where are you now? Give well, me now I work from I work I mean, for myself full time. Thank God. Okay. You work for yourself full time. I do not want to go back. I don't want to go back to an employer ever again. Yeah. <laughs> you moved to Italy. Let's be clear here, right? Like when you first started the business, you were still living in California. You are third generation Californian. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. Okay. And then you, so obviously you live in Italy now. You're married. We go back and <laughs> forth between Texas, Austin, Texas, and Italy. And we had to leave California. And I am going to upset some Californians. I don't care. I'm from there. <laughs> I'm from Oakland. I can say what I want. Yes. Um, y'all don't like Italian olive oil companies in your territory. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. really unfortunate because California cannot produce enough oil for the entire state or for the entire U.S. And that's a reality you guys just need to face. You don't okay, have numbers. Let, let me let and me so, just say this again. California, Skylar, you're saying California literally cannot produce enough oil to meet the demands of Californians, let alone a global population who's looking for California oil. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So they need the US cannot meet the demands that the that the United States needs that consumers use. Right. So the U.S. relies heavily on imported oil. It is something that we need in our country. So we had to basically leave California, especially Northern California, because everybody just wanted California oil. I understand you like one local, yada, yada, yada. Like I get it. Trust me, I do. But it just was really unfortunate being a local and trying to sell my product locally, even though it was imported and having local stores that I've been going to almost my entire life tell me no. Yeah. Like, how yeah. do you tell I'm from here? Yeah, that's really, I can only imagine how frustrating that is, right? You are, quote unquote, a local brand, right? You are a Bay Area brand. And yet, because your product, the ingredients aren't grown in California, you're being right. passed over as a local brand. Although, I mean, I'll, we'll just say like <laughs> a local coffee roaster is not growing their beans in Northern California. I right? have There's so many, this- so many brands 
who aren't are local but not local. Go ahead, Skylar. I have gotten into so many arguments with buyers and food shows and food Mm. award award shows. We've gotten into it, and I've just like called them out extremely publicly. I mean, like, okay, so what about the spice companies? Yeah, are you growing the pepper plants in California? There are certain things that just you can't do everything in the U.S. Yeah, you can't and that's grow okay. all of the rice. Like it's fine. We just we you you physically cannot do it. It's not possible, and that's a reality we need to face. And it's really just frustrating as someone who works really hard to create an extremely high quality product to feel so denied by my own home mm-hmm. state and the community that I thought I was a part of. And so I we left. I was like, I'm moving to Texas. Bye. <laughs> so we went to Austin. And we were very quickly able to get to a place that we wanted to get to in Texas. Wow. Okay. So you literally moved to build your business. Correct. And it was the best decision we ever made because we couldn't have had the growth we had staying in the Bay Area, unfortunately. Okay. Let's talk about this. Even with me being from there, guys, I'm born and raised in Oakland. Okay. Right. Let's talk about numbers, Skylar. As much as you are willing, can you tell us some rag-worthy stats? I mean, this is the time to, you know, shout out what you've done and what you've built if if you're inclined to do so. Yeah. So what are you proud of? First, I am proud of when we first started, we were importing like a thousand bottles. Like I am not even kidding. We imported probably two pallets and today we're importing 40 foot containers into the U S full of oil. And we have probably in like the size of our business compared to 2018 is about six times bigger than what it was. Six X from in six years. Yeah. Six X and six And we did start really small. We still are small relatively, like compared to our competitors, we still are quite small. But the thing about high quality olive oil is it's not something that you can easily scale. Mm. And this is where food does get slow. This is where olive oil gets slow. And it's not just about the demand. It's not just about how we can increase you know, our business by selling to more wholesale accounts. Like that's not necessarily the issue. The issue is more around olive trees take a long time to grow and they are really old, sturdy plants, but you can't get to selling a hundred thousand bottles a year in 10 years. Like that's just not practical. It's not realistic because an olive tree, we just planted 300 trees two years ago. Um, and so they're about four now and they're not producing fruit yet. And they're, they're not four gonna, years they're old, not gonna make, four, four yeah, years old, about four years old. Yeah. So they're not going to make fruit until probably another two years because they're mm-hmm. still quite small and they won't hit their stride until 15 and they won't hit where they're really cranking out fruit until they're 30. And this is with <laughs> proper trimming and proper care. So it's a slow industry, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And so where my brain is going, Skylar, is one, 
you and Giuseppe are going to be old by the time this these trees are really mature and producing consistent high quality. I mean, not to say they're not high quality, you know, as as youthful trees, but you guys are going to be, it takes a long time. It's going to be decades from now before yeah. these trees are really producing, um, you know, lots and lots of fruit. And so my business brain is like, shoot, what do you do with the cash flow? Like, how's your cash flow while you, you know, invest in these 300 trees and wait decades for them to start producing? Well, the good news is that olive trees, as long as you take care of them, they're relatively affordable to take, to Mm -hmm. care for. Um, And it's why so many Southern Italians have property full of olive trees. And also property here in Calabria is almost viewed as a birthright. It's not like the U.S. where it's like you have to go out and buy a house or a piece of property and it's this thing you need to go and get. In Southern Italy, it's very much like I'm getting, I'm inheriting this piece of property from my mom or my aunt or my grandfather and there's usually olive trees on it. So it's part of their culture. And also almost everyone has olive trees. So until our trees are really starting to crank out fruit, we have options of where we can get fruit from. We're working with an incredible grower who's in the low hills of Calabria, about 30 minutes away from us. And her olive trees are super healthy and beautiful. And we're getting fruit from her. Um, And she's an older lady. And she's extremely, she's, we're keeping her young and on her toes by, (laughs) with our requests of the type of fruit we want, the type of the harvest time we want, you know, the time we want the olives to be harvested. And so we always have someone who we can turn to. And we have these um, these relationships in place for who we can get fruit from. So there's not, I'm not worried about that. It's more like when we do harvest our own fruit, it's going to be in a couple of years, which is just crazy. Gotcha. Okay. So, but it goes back to this bigger question about food companies' ability to scale and the ability to scale without compromising on the quality. Right. Yeah. So do you feel like your company, like, where are you in that scaling, you know, quote unquote, scaling journey? And what are you doing in regards to keeping the quality high as you grow the business? Well, growing slow. I don't need to run a $50 million food company. I have zero. That sounds very, very much not fun. I don't want to deal with distributors. Uh, I don't want to talk to them. I don't want <laughs> Sorry, guys. Not interested. Um, I don't really want to deal with large retailers. I want to sell directly to consumers and I want to sell to small businesses across the U.S. And there is a cap on how much we can grow our olive oil business unless we want to expand into other markets like pasta or tomato sauces. And I think that this is something that people get really weirded out when I tell them. Like, I don't want to run a huge company. And they're like, why wouldn't you want your company to grow to be that size? Like, because that doesn't have a high quality. Like, my quality of life would go down. I'm chilling right now. I like my life. I have great customers. I have fun on social media. I get to say whatever I want because I don't have investors to report to. I don't have to, like, pull these crazy reports and tell them, like, we made X, Y, and Z money. It's like, it's only my business, right? Yeah. Um. I don't have anyone to report to except my people, my customers, Mm -hmm. the community that I've created. That's my top priority. So if that means I can only grow, I don't know, 5% 
for the next five or 10 years, I'm cool with that because I'm content with where I am right now. And I'll just slowly continue to grow. And with that, continue to grow our reputation. Maybe we'll publish another cookbook. Like, I don't need to be the biggest, baddest olive oil company in the world. And that title does not sound fun to me because the stressors that come with that would give me too much anxiety. Yeah. Okay. And what I heard you say, first, I'm just clapping over here. I completely agree with you. But what I heard you say is when you tell people this, right? Like, I don't want to be the $50 million company. People look at you like there's something, something's wrong, right? There's some, there's something wrong with your definition of success, right? Correct. So what, what is that, Skylar? What is your definition of success? My definition of success is being able to live life on my own terms Mm. and do what I want with my, with my time and work with people who I want to work with. That is my definition of success because I have in my business and the decisions I make are not thwarted by being forced into making decisions that I don't want to make or into positions I don't want to be in. So for me, that's what success looks like. If I want to go to, I don't know, London for uh, for a long weekend and not really have to worry about my business, how my business is running. And if I have to contact X, Y, and Z, or if I'm going to get the shipment to X, Y, and Z distributor, like I don't, that's not fun for me. It's really, it's not great for me. And that means that we have to stay a little bit smaller and I'm cool with that. A lot of people aren't, but I'm like, that's fine for me because I'm comfortable with my life. Yeah. Well, and I'm hearing you say, making the intentional choice to stay smaller and build this business that works for you and Giuseppe allows you to do all these other things that you wouldn't be able to do going to London, spending time between Austin and Italy, you know, doing building this business on your own terms that you wouldn't be able to do if you had investors, that you had those national wholesale accounts, that you had the distributors that you were beholden to, right? It's affording you a different lifestyle. Mm. Exactly. I can just like in the summer, I can wake up and go swimming because we're right on the water in Calabria. So in the summertime, I can just wake up and go swimming. Then I come back and work on my computer and I film content. And then I go swimming again in the afternoon. And then I come back and respond to emails for the rest of the evening. Like that flexibility, that's a flexibility that I never, ever, ever, ever take for granted. Like I'm in the water all summer long because I, how else would I be able to do that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just so happy that you're sharing this message on the podcast because I think so many of us get the same you know, idea in our head that there is one path towards success in the packaged products industry, right? Make your product for as lowest, the lowest price that you possibly can. Find a broker, find a distributor, get into the national accounts, find investors, don't pay yourself for years and years and years, and then cross your fingers and hope that someone buys your business, you know, five years down the line. I just think it's so unrealistic. That does not sound fun to me. I would be so stressed out. It would, it's not sustainable for me personally. That's yeah. not sustainable. Right. For, I mean, I don't think it's sustainable for anyone, but for me, especially, I would not be able to function with that much pressure on myself. Mm. And again, it's more about the flexibility and 
we also are responsible for the production of our products because we have the olive trees. But because we are involved with all of these steps, it also gives us not only multiple different um, perspectives of our company and what it goes into what goes into producing our products, but how we want to move forward and what scaling would truly mean mm. for us. And also, again, with high quality olive oil, it's very similar to wine. A high a premium winemaker can only make X number of bottles of a 200 bottle or $200 bottle of wine, right? It is the same. Our bottles of olive oil are $30. Okay. Olive oil is expensive to produce. It is yep. because olive trees, you know, again, they take forever to grow. Mm-hmm. So, and olive oil is very expensive to make. And the yield, the percentage of oil that you get out of the actual fruit is very small. You only get like a 12%. You own oh, for wow. every yeah. olive, you only get like 12% of the olive is actually oil. Yeah. There is wow. quite, a, quite a lot of quote unquote waste mm-hmm. of the fruit. But if that's what we're going to, that if we're, if we're going to scale, we need to be realistic about how we're going to do that. And again, we can only have X number of trees to produce X number of, of bottles of oil and what that actually looks like. And we can't, Giuseppe has talked about this before. Like we've talked about this before. He said, I, I believe it's like the, the max number of acres, hectares that you can realistically care for to create incredible oil is like eight hectares because anything, and I don't, I don't know what that is in American acres I can look it up but that is kind of the cap and once you go above that it's too commer- it's too hard to manage the property it's like impossible for a person to do and you just end up selling your fruit you know second grade fruit to people who want to make regular olive oil or lower quality olive oil mm-hmm. so what do you want you have to make a decision what do you want what do you want to make what do you want to make Skylar, I just looked it up. It's about 20 acres, a little, a little under than, than 20 acres. Um, Skylar, you would know yourself so well and you, it's, it's really, I really admire how clear you are on what works and what is not going to work for yourself. How'd you, how'd you get this clarity? You guys are not going to like this answer. I, uh, trauma, baby. Trauma. Uh, All right, here we go. (laughs) Childhood trauma. Grow up in a house that was extremely traumatic to grow up in. And do a lot of therapy and self-healing as an adult. And that will get you to a place where you really understand yourself because you want to become a better person who can function in modern day society. Yeah. And that is how I got here. I know that I love my business so much, but I don't want Excel to consume me. There's other things I want to do. I want, I'm working on a fiction book right now, which I'm having so much fun writing. Um, so I want to spend a lot of time working on my fiction book. I want to spend time hanging out with my cat. I want to spend a lot of time reading. I want to spend time cooking off camera. And so how can I make my business work in the best way possible for me, myself and the life that I want? And it took a long time. Like, I feel like I didn't get here until probably 20, until 2022. So that's 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, yeah. Like six years, five or six years it took. Into your business. But now, 
yeah, now I feel we just finished our seventh harvest. And mm-hmm. Harvest 2023 was our seventh harvest. Wow. And now I just feel in a much more secure place about where I am, where we want to go. I can easily say I have no problem saying no. Like I told you before this call, I said no to a really big retailer. I didn't say no. I gave them our number and they balked at it and I didn't back down. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Someone else will work out. Yeah. Okay. So this is going to turn into a a podcast that just tells everybody to go to therapy and figure themselves out before they can go to therapy. <laughs> go to therapy. You hear you hear it here on the podcast. Go to therapy. And that's the way to figure out what 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 type of business will work for you. Skylar, thank you for sharing that. I think uh, we don't talk about it enough in in business, um, but it makes such a big it's so important to know yourself and hold your value. It is. What do you wish you had known about business or this industry or olive oil? You know, what do you wish you had known, you know, five years ago, six years ago when you were were first getting going? Um, Wash, rinse, repeat, I guess, because which means what I mean by that is cycle through things extremely quickly, send Mm -hmm. emails send the follow-up email, wash, rinse, repeat, do it again and again and again and again until you get comfortable doing that thing. And you have to work through the discomfort of doing that thing in order to get, in order to move forward. So for me, that was reaching out to wholesale accounts, um, Mm -hmm. being myself on social media, posting videos on social media in order for us to, you know, not only sell products, but increase our following and get more PR opportunities And the more you do those things you don't like doing or that you find are uncomfortable, the better you'll get at them. It's like a muscle that you have to build. And early on, I find that founders just think they have to be really perfect at everything. And you're going to suck in the beginning. It's fine. Like just, just suck really bad. Be so bad so that you can get really good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Wash, rinse, repeat. I haven't heard anyone say it like that before, but your younger, your younger you needs to hear this message. Just do it fast and over and over and over again, over and Mm -hmm. over and over. That's how you get really good videos. It's how you can go viral. Uh, The more, if you watch people on social media, people who go viral all the time, you scroll way back down in their feeds. You'll see their, their patterns of how their videos get made change through time. Right. So like three years ago, they might've had two videos that went viral then two years ago, they had six videos that went viral. And then this year, they'll have like 12 videos. So they really start getting to know their audience and they get better at flexing that muscle of how to make better videos, how to make better content. Yeah. And it's the same thing with like reaching out to buyers or talking to people. And you totally. just have to move through. It's like, come on, let's go. Next. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And what I hear you say, Skylar, and what I'm laughing about over here is... You know, if we scrolled back in your Instagram feed, what would we find? You know, five years ago, I think the content would be quite different. So embarrassing. Yeah, do it, actually. Let me know if people, (laughs) if you're listening to this, please go back and look at how shy I was. I was like, hey, guys. This is Skylar. I'm not do like very shy. And now I'm like, hi, this is Skylar Mapes. I'm here doing X, Y, and Z. This is why you need to be amazing. Olive oil and just like 
but and like get through it, get to the point, yeah, be loud in I'm gonna, your audience's face. I'm gonna yeah. challenge our listeners that if they go, if they go back through Skylar and find an old post of yours i'll say you guys can do it for mine too scroll back to the beginning of of my instagram it's not it's not pretty share it and tag skylar and me um we'd love to know if you're in in you know going deep into the archives of our of our social media but skylar i think something has changed in the way you speak about yourself and your business you know since i first met you, you were more safe in talking about your business, safe in talking about olive oil. And I've loved watching this transformation here and seeing you being loud and, uh, dare I say, controversial about olive oil and even things outside of, you know, CPG on your social feeds. And I think it's really allowed you to attract attention and get that PR. You know, in the intro, I talked about you being in, you know, Forbes 30 under 30, getting on Oprah's favorites list two times, having a cookbook, all of these things. <laughs> Do you think your your online presence is contributing to that? Absolutely. I would not have had most of the things that I have without having a strong uh, online presence. And it's the reason that I continue to have Excel and my personal Instagram be strong online, online presences, because we like, if you, you need to have your voice heard and you need to shape your voice. And I'm still, if you're writing a book or you're in the public space, you're always going to be reshaping and kind of reforming your voice, mm-hmm. right? Like that's something that's going to be con- constant for the length of my entire career. But if you don't have a specific voice or um, you don't speak about a very specific topic in a specific way, there's nothing to differentiate you from other people. Cause then it's just kind of all sounds mixed together. You need to decide how you want to present yourself to the world. And it can feel like you kind of um, cartoonish, like you're mm-hmm. almost putting on the mask of a character, but like, it doesn't matter because it's social media and you get to shape how people view you. And that's kind of what I do on my social. I Now I do, um, I'm doing this new method where I, I'm batch content. I batch create everything on in a morning, which I highly recommend if you are a person who needs to zip through content very quickly. And I just say what's on my mind. Like I have a list of topics I want to get through and then I bust through all of them. And if they don't land, they don't land. I'll redo the video later. Wash, rinse, repeat. Yes, yes. We batch all of our content too. And it is, it's the way that we're able to, you know, crank it out, right? Like not every Instagram reel needs to be award-winning over here. Sometimes it's just about getting it done. Yeah. Yeah. Skylar, I've got a couple more questions for you. Um, And the first one, so I want to touch a little bit about like your, on your opinions and give you the chance to just talk about olive oil and maybe um connect, you know, the conversation around climate change and olive oil in a second. But before we do, I want to know about the cookbook that you released in August, 2023. So it hasn't even been a full year yet. How has releasing a cookbook impacted your olive oil brand? 
Well, impacted my ego. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Okay. Tell me more. It's the confidence booster that I need. I felt like it, it supercharged me. So that's the other thing. It's like when you ask, like, how can you shape your voice or have, how can you feel like more open about talking about all of them or confident? It's also because I published a book. And so to have a publisher approach us, because we didn't, we didn't pitch our book. We had mm. 10 speed reached out to us. Okay. They wanted someone who was specialized in our industry, who had a very specific voice to talk about olive oil. And that was the boost to my ego. (laughs) Just being honest, boost to my ego, my self-confidence and to know that I can do this. I Mm -hmm. can have a really strong voice in this industry. I can take up space in this industry and what I have to say matters. And so the olive oil enthusiast, it talks about all things olive oil in a very approachable way. So we talk about where are the olive trees originally from, um, how it got to Italy, what type of cultivars there are, what are the flavor profiles, how to pair olive oil with food, sweet, savory. And again, flavor profiles of oil that are outside of just like grassy green, like there's chamomile, there's vanilla, there's plum, there's banana, tropical fruit, rose. There's all these other flavor profiles that people don't know about. So it was an exploration into the world that we immerse ourselves in regularly, plus some recipes from Giuseppe's family and some updated recipes like olive oil popcorn, um, olive oil brownies, things that we enjoy making every day for our family. So it's a mix of old and new and some Italian and some American things. Okay, so the biggest boost it gave you was permission to be an expert. Exactly. And I really needed that because I actually just looked up, I searched your your name today in my email and I had asked you in 2020 how I could be like a speaker about olive oil. And I was like, how can I be a speaker about olive oil? (laughs) I don't remember that conversation. Okay. Did I give you, I don't remember any advice here. Clearly not. (laughs) No, I think you did, but I I found the email and it was really, it was literally in the subject was how to become an olive oil speaker. Yes. You know, we would know the answer. Allie would know the answer to that. And then three years later, it happened for you. Yeah. Correct. Sometimes it does take that external validation to give us that, that little bit of confidence boost. But Skylar, not women. Yeah. Especially for women. I feel like yeah. men are just like, let me get on my pedestal and talk about this thing I have no experience in. But <laughs> women, <laughs> we have a lot of a harder time, you know, voicing yeah. our opinions about things. And, but Skylar, I do, I don't want to discredit the things that you put in place that attracted 10 speed press to you in the first place, right? If you had not been if you not if you hadn't had any presence on social media if you hadn't you know been in select retailers if you hadn't been building this brand 10 speed would have looked over you when they were trying to find a, a new partner you know to to do this book with and so i think that they're yes that external validation is can be really important. And absolutely, I don't want to say that it that you didn't need that, but you put so many things in place that allowed you to be attractive to 10 speed in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. 
Last opportunity to get on your soapbox here, Skylar. Tell me, I'm just going to ask this because I'm curious, but tell me about the future of olive oil and what you think is going to happen. And if you think, I imagine you do, this is kind of a leading question. What the heck is going to happen with olive oil around climate change? Where are we going to go from here? So the trees are very confused because of the weather, because Mm -hmm. of climate change, because winters are not as cold as they're supposed to be. And olive trees kind of go dormant in the winter. They kind of go to sleep. So harvest in case y'all aren't, um, if, if you need a refresher on how the olive oil industry works, we harvest our fruit in the fall. So in the northern northern hemisphere, we harvest all of our olives in like between September to December. And then we trim our trees in January. And then they start to bud again. And the flowers begin to open in like April, May-ish. And then the fruit grows and the fruit grows from June to September. And then we start we start harvest. Okay. What's happening right now is winter is not cold enough. So the olive buds are starting to come in early. And that's really dangerous because if you have, if the olive flowers show up on the tree, let's say in February, and then you have a freeze, then the flowers fall off and your fruit is lost for that heart for that season. And so that is kind of what's happening right Mm -hmm. now. In addition Mm -hmm. to that, people are planting um, high density groves, which I think is heinous. And I absolutely do not, Giuseppe and I do not support in any way, shape or form. And high density farming with olive groves is basically where you put a bunch of trees in really tight lines and you grow them almost like bushes. And then a machine comes over and harvests them Mm -hmm. and harvest, like when it's time to come and harvest the trees. And it is just so unsustainable. Olive trees are plants that are supposed to live for a long time. And when you have high density farming, systems in place they have to rip out the trees in like 15 to 20 years and replant them and then they have to put in more nutrients in the soil and it's just nobody is really winning the only person who's winning is the company who's growing the fruit the earth is not winning the trees are not winning it's just lining somebody's pockets yeah and the consumers Um, aren't winning either i imagine because then they've got this perception of what quality olive oil is and it's not that Exactly. And so I'm, we're really concerned because also high density farming is perpetuating this desire for people to want monocultivars, which is one type of olive in an oil. And Giuseppe's grandfather planted probably six or seven different cultivars on one property. And the reason he did this is because at the time the government was encouraged encouraging farmers to plant different types of olives. So he was doing that because the government was recommending that, but also because olive trees need pollinators. Mm. So like, yes, we planted a bunch of Nochelada del Belice, but we also have our pollinators in there. And then on the rest of our property, we have uh, Coratina, Carolea, um, Penulara. Like we have all these different cultivars from Southern Italy. Even we have some from Tuscany, Frantoio, like we have different cultivars and it creates a really wonderful ecosystem for the trees to exist in. But people get so obsessed. They're like, we want a mobile cultivar. It's that one type of olive, yeah. one type like for that. It's just did it. And it's like, we should, if we, if we wanted to do that, we would, we would have to rip up 
80 year old trees. Yeah. Is that a good idea? No, bad, no. bad idea. And there's people who are trying to make monocultivar oils who are ripping up old trees because they want to create this new style oil, which is emulating the old style oil because that, that's how they used to make oil way back when. And it's like, just leave the trees alone, you know, mm. plant. If you want to plant new olive trees, you can plant different types, but monocultivars are also not sustainable for our industry. We need to view the Campania, the olive groves, as entire ecosystems where the trees are naturally pollinating one another. We have other healthy, low um, plants in, growing in between the groves. So like we only till a couple times a year if we're, if we're going to till our property because we're going for our organic certification mm. and you just leave, leave it how it's supposed to be and don't plant the trees too close together. But climate change is impacting our industry heavily. And there's people in our industry who are also helping to perpetuate it. And that is so dangerous. Yeah. So the dangerous. Dub double whammy, right? The earth is changing. Climate change is yeah. real and happening. And it's your industry is being exacerbated or the challenges in your industry are exacerbated by these uh, larger companies who are um, creating the monocultures. Hmm. Yeah. So how do we make a difference? Buy from small producers. You, If you can, I know olive oil is expensive, but listen, olive oil is expensive to make. It is really, really, really expensive to make. Again, our yield, the oil that comes out of an olive is about 12%. Okay. If you compare it to wine, wine, like when you um, press grapes, I believe the yield is like 80%, 70%. Mm -hmm. It's something really, really high. Okay. Olive oil is like 12%, guys. It's not a ton. No. So, wow, that's wild. And I mean, I, I think, Skylar, you're here on the Food Biz Wiz podcast. You're definitely preaching to the choir a bit, right? I'm sure we've got listeners nodding along and being like, exactly, you know, same thing with chocolate, same thing with coffee, same thing with, you know, honey, right? Um, but one of the things I think about a lot is just, I simply think about the cost of things. You know, maybe someone doesn't think twice about spending $30 on a bottle of wine, and that's gone in an hour. And you've got a $30 bottle of olive oil that you can use for several weeks, right? That you're like really yeah. enjoying. That's like you're using in multiple meals and it's enhancing so many dishes rather than, oh, great, six six glasses of wine poured around a, a dinner party. It's gone in, in a moment. Mm. And I say this to customers all the time. Well, not, I mean, XL customers, they know what's up. They're like, no issues, you know, forking <laughs> over the $30 for a bottle of olive oil because they know that it's so good and it's also incredible for their health. But for folks who are not as aware about how quickly the bottle of olive oil lasts, it's like it, $30 a month for incredible yeah. oil is and like, that's not that bad for, especially for people who are spending $50 on a bottle of wine, like, come on come on. Yeah. It's not. And it's like, you think of it as a health product because also extra virgin olive oil is really rich in antioxidants. Uh, Yale has been studying the product to see how it can help folks um, with dementia, mm. help folks with Alzheimer's. And um, Giuseppe's dad has type two diabetes and his daily consumption of extra virgin olive oil has really helped him 
with his diagnosis. And they also have studied how it can help with type two diabetes. Um, But there's all these incredible health benefits. People who consume extra virgin olive oil regularly are at, they have like a 17% 17 less risk of dying from a cardiovascular disease. I, wow. It is a, it's insane. It's well, because we're changing the type of oil they're, con- or you're changing the type of fats they're consuming, right? Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not a butter hater. Trust me. Like I love butter. <laughs> I just don't really consume it anymore because I, I've switched over to extra virgin olive oil for pretty much everything. If someone makes something yeah. with butter, I'm not going to be that person who's like, oh, I don't eat butter. I love butter. But with my daily consumption right. of fat, it's always extra virgin olive oil in my house. Yeah. Yeah. And I've never felt better. Also skincare, makeup remover. Totally. All these, and you're putting the antioxidants on your skin. It's just so good for you and your skin. I, it's really become a go-to gift for us. Uh, but you know, when I'm going over someone's house or, you know, around the holidays, like olive oil, high quality olive oil is the, is the thing that everybody's getting now, um, from our household. And I'm just so, I'm so happy to see Skylar that you, that your business is working, that that woman who I met way back, you know, before you even joined Retail Ready is now having a business that works for her. I mean, Skylar, it's just, I'm so proud of of how you've built your business and um, being able to witness it along the way. Thank you. Thank you for all the support over the years. Truly. My, my pleasure. You. My pleasure. So Skylar, um, how can folks keep in touch? Where can they buy your olive oil? Where can they find your book? Give me all the resources and we'll, we'll put them all in the show notes as well. All right. So you can get our book, The Olive Oil Enthusiast, anywhere you can get books. So Target, Amazon, your local bookstore. I would check your local bookstore first though, of course. You can get our Italian extra virgin olive oil at xaoolivoil.com. So that's E-X-A-U oliveoil.com. And you can follow Xao Olive Oil on Instagram, Facebook. I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook though. And then you can follow me on TikTok. I am so fun on TikTok. I talk a lot of crap on TikTok. So if you like that, follow me. It's at Skyler, S-K-Y-L-E-R, Mapes, M-A-B-E-S on TikTok. And I think that's everything. Awesome. We will put all of that in the show notes. Skylar, thank you so much for all your time today. I so appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing all of your wisdom and your knowledge about olive oil with us. Thank you. Thank you. Wizzes, I am so grateful for Skylar and the time she gave us today. She's shared so many lessons and insights about building a business that works for her and her husband. I hope you can learn from her and hear her passion for the food industry and for olive oil. So as mentioned, you can find out more about XAO and order their products on their website, which is linked in our full show notes. As usual, we want to hear from you about which piece from today's episode you needed to hear most. So send us a DM on Instagram at our new handle, at foodbizwiz, or connect with us on LinkedIn or both. Find all of our links in our full show notes, and we will be right back here with you next week for another episode as we kick off Women's History Month. We've got a show with Ashley Nicholson of BTR Bars. We'll see you right back here next week. Bye.
This episode is supported by my free workbook on 100 wholesale buyer knows. Why would you want a list of 100 heartbreaking reasons why a buyer says no to your product line or frankly, why they never call you back in the first place? Well, when you anticipate the no, you can prepare your rebuttal. And that's exactly what I'm walking you through in this free download. Find it directly in the show notes and you are going to be one step closer to getting those wholesale buyers to trust you trust your product line and place a first order. Thanks for listening to Food Biz Wiz. If you're enjoying this podcast and the tools it gives you for growing your packaged product business, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. From one small business owner to another, I am deeply grateful for your support of this podcast, and I appreciate it when you share it with your fellow food founders, share it on social media, or leave me a review on your listening platform. Ready for more? Find out how we can work together at foodbizwiz.com. I'll see you right back here next week.